10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Well, good evening and welcome to the first ever edition of the NMF podcast with myself, Dennis Devlin. Coming up on tonight's show, we speak to Scottish author Scotty Allcroft, the man from the three towns who travelled the world with the British Army, travelling to Belize, Germany, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, before returning, of course, to Scotland to serve a stint as a, with the NHS as a porter, before moving to Spain to become a successful author and cutting his time between Gibraltar and his hometown in Spain. He will use five books which we'll discuss on the podcast and a six on the way. All that to come with me, Dennis Devon and Scott Allcraft on the NMF podcast after this. Playing the hits and your favorites of yesterday and today. Show. Sure. 
Playing the hits and your favorites of yesterday and today. back from guests who will be appearing on the RMF podcasts, Engines Made With Soup. We heard, of course, When Will It All Begin Again, Vacate and Ceremony, kicking off three songs in a row back to back on the RMF podcast with me, Dennis Dillon. Coming up, straight after the break, we talk to Scott Allcroft, the author from Scotland who travelled well with the British Army, of course, before settling back into Spain to become a successful author. All that to come after the break with me, Dennis Devlin, and the Edward Podcast with Scott Allcroft. Oh no, little Timmy's got hold of a marker pen. My wall looks like a colouring book. What am I going to do? Flash! Ah! Cleans up the impossible! Wow, he's really made a mess. 
It's a pain, but we won't stress. In the hall, gears drawn overall. On the wall, lots of scrolls, but we can clean this up. Flash magic eraser, we love you. Flash! Ah! Cleans up the impossible. Much more sexy tracks coming up. Where are you? Are you in bed? Or are you leaving the first human footprint on Mars? Are you jogging? Or are you about to pull off the heist of the century? Are you in your car? Or are you praying those red eyes in the darkness can't see you? A voice in your ear can take you anywhere. Audible. Get your first audiobook for free and feel every word. Seven ninety nine a month after 30-day trial. Starts automatically. Terms apply. This tempo's way too slow to tell you all there is to know, so I'm going to speed it up. Here we go. When you're holidaying in Rome but you want it to look like you're at home, Hive Active lights will come on at night to make your living room nice and bright. Or if you're left work in a hurry and you're trying to save some money, Hive Active plugs let you turn your appliances off whilst you're having your ear chewed off by your boss. How about you're at a romantic dinner for two and you want to check your kids home by curfew? Hive sensors monitor your front door so they won't be sneaking home late anymore. Whew. Because with Hive you control your home from your phone, from your lights to your plugs to your sensors. See what else you can control at HiveHome.com. Hive products work with Hive Hub. Requires broadband. Much more sexy tracks coming up. Are you ready? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Well, good morning and welcome to the NMF podcast eventually. And good morning, Scott Olcoff. Good morning. How are you doing, sir? Good morning. It's good to finally have you here, pal. <laughs> ah, great to be on, mate. Great to be on. Technical issues straight away, yeah? <laughs> as, long as, as long as we're good to go for the game, I'm, I'm quite happy. I'm quite happy, my man. We're ready to go, big man. We'll start off straight away. It's good to have you on board. It's great to, to finally catch up with you. I'm going to talk straight away about growing up in the three towns. Obviously, I, I was I'm an Adrosian boy and I lived in Stevenson. And you're a you're a three towns man yourself. I uh, born in Irvine Central, 1978, and uh, brought up in sunny Salcoats. Uh, great place to be brought up, mate. Uh, I used to uh, my, my grandparents lived in Adrosian, so I used to frequent there every Sunday. Uh, we'd go out and visit them. Uh, my dad would. Walk at the speed of a thousand gazelles, and I'm sprinting beside them, walking across <laughs> Jack's Park, trying to get out to the Rye Road and the Drossen where they resided. Aye, it was just it was a, a great place to be brought up. Um, you know, you had to stand up for yourself, and uh, people around about that area don't suffer fools gladly. So, aye, it was a it was a great um, place to be brought up, mate. A great place to be brought up. What was life like at school for you? Um, I went to St Mary's, which isn't uh, it's not there anymore, on uh, Jack's Road. That was next to St Andrews, the academy. So um, I, I stayed in Salcoats till I was about eight years old, nine years old. And then uh, my dad worked for the railway at the time. So we ended up moving up to a place called Pennycook, which is just outside Edinburgh. So um, I enjoyed it, man. It was, it was tough. You know, I, again, the... the the teachers didn't suffer fools gladly. If, you know, you weren't allowed to leave your, your dinner table until you ate everything. And no. the teachers wouldn't be long and giving you a slap and like, things like that back then. It was it's not like it is now. You know, they they would they would they would scud you in the back of the head or they would slap you in the face. And <laughs> it was just, it was just I, I missed the belt by a few years and no. the, the strap and that. But geez, oh man, the teachers didn't mess about back then. You know, you, they would give you, if you were lippy to them, they'd give you a scud or they'd fling a chalkboard at you, a chalkboard duster or a bit of chalk or whatever they had <laughs> close to hand, you know, they didn't mess about. Would you say that helped you in a way growing up? Would you say that benefited you becoming a man? Oh, definitely, man. Uh, absolutely. I think it's, if you're having to get discipline as a child, then, you know, you're, I think... The molly cuddled now, children, and I think you know if you get brought up that way and it's sort of tough upbringing, it you don't appreciate it at the time, but you appreciate it when you're older. 
Yeah, you learn respect, don't you, Scott? For sure, for sure, definitely. You left school and you joined the army. That's right, aye. Um, I left school pretty early at 16 with, with no qualifications really at all. I, I didn't really attend school much in, in my secondary secondary years. Um, I just didn't enjoy it, if I'm being honest. I was a bit of a, a sort of a class clown and just thought I was a bit of a smart ass and that, you know. And obviously looking back now, I, I wasn't. I, I didn't really attend any. I enjoyed PE, enjoyed the physical side, I enjoyed a bit of history and I enjoyed, enjoyed a bit of French. But uh, considering now I'm a, I'm a self-published author of five books, I, I didn't really attend English that much. So thank God for my proofreaders. Um, <laughs> and joining the army what was that like for you again it was between the ages of 17 and 21 you know I just I was just getting sacked from from jobs left right in Chelsea you know I just wasn't just a bit of a waster just sort of gone for job to job and sort of drinking a lot and not really thinking about my future at all and then back in the days the only job you could get really was either in a slaughterhouse or a factory you know, that's just how it was back then. It was it was tough to get it wasn't tough to get a job, but when you'd been sacked everywhere for 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 no turning up after the Paige, you know, it was uh, the army was the only option at the time, to be honest with you. So um I it was me and my best pal, a boy called Ian Fulton for Soulcoats at the time. The two of would go running around Jack's Park every day and we'd we'd do a bit of training, we'd both decide we were gonna go and join the army. And when it came push come to shove he didn't go to the careers office and I did. And that's it, man. The, the rest is history. I had 14 years in the forces and I enjoyed it. It's completely made me the person that I am today. I, I dread to think what I'd be or where I'd be now if if I hadn't joined the army. That's that's the truth. Uh, like I said, I Scotland as well. It obviously got you away from Scotland as well, Scott, and it gave you a chance to see some amazing places. Aye, I've, I've literally been everywhere, man. Um, I started off, it was a place called Deep Cut, and that's where I'd done my, my sort of phase two training. And uh, there was quite a lot of goings on back then in, in Deep Cut. Uh, I think there was, I, I don't think it's been solved to this day. There was. Well publicised. Aye, well publicised, sort of three killings or three suicides, or I don't know what, I don't know the full ins and outs of it, but I know that one of them got found with. With two rounds in his head, I think it was a Scottish boy as well. He got found with two rounds in his head. So, you know, if he committed suicide, he's done well there, isn't he? Ah, uh, you can't shoot yourself in the head and then go, Please. "Oh, that didn't work. Let's do it again." You know. So, I mean, God bless the boy, but it doesn't look like suicide to me. You know, it's. I think there's something, and like we said, it's well publicised, and and I don't think the the person who who done it, if, if somebody has done it, I don't think they've been caught to this day. So I, it was quite a mad time back then, but that's how I sort of started my military career and uh, got posted to a place called South Cerny, which is in Gloucestershire. I was there, and from there I went to uh, places like Saudi Arabia, uh, Belize. Um, I'd done a tour of Afghanistan, uh, the North Island. I was there as well. Germany, Gibraltar. Yeah, just everywhere, man. I just, like you said, it it, it was free travel, uh, different cultures, and I just, I loved it. And it's, if I never got my post into Gibraltar for those three years between 2007 and 2010, then I, w I wouldn't be here today where I am now. Yeah, it gave you a taste for it, didn't it? And you obviously fell in love with the place as well. Aye, I, I, I knew the day I got here that, you know, this, this was the place for me. Uh, I still work there at the minute. To this day, and I live just outside it, uh, down in a place called Algeciras, which is about five, six miles from the Gibraltar border. I just moved here a month ago. And I'm sure everybody that sort of follows me on social media seen that I used to live in a, a big fancy villa for the past two years. And ah, we are still your pool. No, it was I sort of it was a shared villa there, and uh, I shared it with a few people and. I just got to the stage where, you know, I, I wanted my own place. So I've, I've managed to get myself my own apartment now, a th nice three-bedroom apartment in Al Jazeera's. And I, it was just, it was time to sort of stand on my own two feet and, and move on. And I, I just love this part of the world, man. You've got you've got everything close by. We've got a place called Tarifa, which is sort of the, the surfing place of uh, uh, southern Spain. 
and I'm, I'm eight miles from the northern tip of Africa. It's just a perfect location, perfect place, nice wee place that I live in, and everything's round about you. You know, it's you, where people are paying two, three, four hundred pounds for flights and uh, hall, uh, hotels and stuff. It's right in my doorstep, so it's it's tremendous, man. I love it. Right. It sounds amazing. You did come back to Scotland though, to work as a porter for a bit. What was like as a porter? That must have been amazing. Aye, same again. Um, I got out of the army in two thousand and the end of two thousand two thousand and thirteen. It was aye. So, um, I came back. My dad worked for the NHS at the time, and he's he's sort of said to me, he "says What are you going to do?" And I says, "Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, Dad." So I actually got out of the army to be um to do close protection in the Middle East. That's what that was what my plan was to do. And um, I spoke to a few guys that were doing it, and they they said it wasn't as glamorous as it as it sounded. So I sort of sacked that in the head and, and went back to Scotland. And uh, my dad worked for the NHS and he said, why don't you just get yourself a wee job in the NHS? And he said, it's sort of like the army, you know, you can sort of just come in as at the bottom and work your way up, you know, with your qualifications and your life experiences in the army. You've run men, you know, you've you've looked after sections of men. You know, you'd be good for a supervisor, good for a boss, whatever. He says, just come in and, and give it a go and see how you get on. So I spoke to some guys at Air and they said, why don't you come in as a bank porter, which was sort of like part-time porter. I thought, oh, God, that'll do me, you know, just to get in and, and and see how it goes. So here was me pushing people about, so on and so forth. And within, I think it was within a month or two months, the boss's job came up. And uh, the, the guys that worked for me, they said, why don't you apply for it? And other guys that had been there for 20, 30 years says, what, what, you know, why are you going to apply for it? You've just got here. You're just a bank porter. You've got no chance of the job. And I was like, listen, mate, you, you don't know me. You know, you don't know my experience. And, you know, I've been looking after guys all around the world for the past sort of 14 years. And you don't know the experience I have. So I sort of applied for it on the sly. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't tell anybody. And I'll, I'll tell your listeners this one wee story. It's quite funny. They had a they had a betting club in the Porter's Lodge. It was called the Porter's Lodge, uh, where all the guys sort of sat. And they had a, a betting club, and they used to put like I think it was twenty five pound a week on a bet. And uh, word got out that that I'd applied for the for the for the boss's job. I told a couple of the guys and told them not to tell anybody. But eventually, you know how it has uh, got out. So word got out that I'd applied and. I walked into work one day and there was betting odds on the wall. So the the guys that had been there would be <laughs> 10, 15 years were the evens favourite. And they had the two to one second favourite, the 72. And it said Scott Alcroft, uh, 60, 61. Bang on so, that one. Aye, so perfect. So I was like, all right, okay. So I came in and I was sort of, didn't say anything and all the rest of it. So it came time for the interviews and I found that there was three guys interviewing me. So I'd done, I'd done uh, handouts for the three guys that were interviewing me, all my references from the army, my commendations from the army, all the, like different handouts, spreadsheets, and uh, sort of you know stuff like that sort of thing. And uh, I had it in my hands. And I was supposed to go in for the interview first, and I was sat there, sat there and sat there, and all these guys were gone in, gone in, gone in. And then the guy came out and he says, oh, Scott Alcroft. I said, aye, that's me. I said, oh, I thought I was supposed to be first, you know. I said, I'm, uh, I'm working today and the, the boys up there will be cracking up. And he says, oh, don't worry about it. Come in, I'm the boss, so don't worry about it. Just come in. So goes in, has the interview. The interview went great. The, the interview was in Elsa Hospital. And if anybody knows, Air in Elsa Hospital, it's literally like a two-minute walk away. But by the time I get... I just up the road. By the time I get back up to Air Hospital, I was in the toilet getting changed at my suit into my NHS uniform. And then when I walked back into the porter's lodge, uh, one of the guys said, the head porter downstairs wants to see you. So I'm thinking, shit, something's happened at home, you know, is, is my mum and my dad all right? Or is my wife or, you know, I've shit myself. So I goes down to the, the head porter and he says, you need to phone, uh, the guy's name is Robert Stobbs, who was like the, the boss boss. So I phones him up and he says, I'd like to offer you the position as supervisor porter. You absolutely blew us away in the interview. And I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, I'd only been there maybe a month or two months. Like I said, I was just a bank guy, part-time guy. So I says, aye, aye, I'll take it. You know, that'd be great. He says, it's up to you. You start tomorrow. He says, it's up to you if you want to go and tell the guys. I says, no, I've got a wee, uh, I've got a wee plan. 
before I tell the guys if that's all right with you. And he says, aye, aye, that's fine, whatever. I says, but you start the motor. Aye, no problem. So I didn't tell a soul. Goes back home, tells a wife and my family and all the rest of it, but I didn't, I didn't tell a soul at work. So the big shot, the one who was getting at the 60 61 shot, he comes in and I left it to a, a, a shift uh, handover. So all the porters leave at one point and the other ones come in. So it must have been about 20 porters in the one room. <laughs> and uh, His name was Mitch. I can't mind his second name, but he comes in anyway and he's he's a big bully sort of thing. You know, he's been there 30, 40 years and he picks on all the new ones, but he didn't pick on me, but he picks on all the sort of uh, the new guys and all the rest of it. So he comes in and uh, we're doing the handovers, about 20 porters in there. And I says, oh, guys, I've got a wee announcement. And Mitch goes, oh, what is it? I says, oh, did you hear about the betting club? He says, the betting club? I says, aye, they won two and a half grand. Two and a half grand? I says, aye, they put £25 on me to be the, the new supervisor porter, so I'll see he's a model. <laughs> and just went to the white jersey. I came back and <laughs> Oh, mate, brilliant. I want to talk to you about when you were serving for your country and what it was like. Uh, obviously, you served in Afghanistan. What was Afghanistan like for you, Scott? It wasn't so bad for me, um, to be honest with you, Dennis. I, I was most of the time I was on Camp Bastion, um, so the whole time I was there, you know, I didn't see any firefights or anything like that. But I did do a few uh, helicopter runs to different bases and stuff. And that, for me, it wasn't frightening. I'm going to be honest with you, um, but you could see a lot of guys were scared on the helicopters and stuff. You, you they shoot at you, they fire rockets at you, and all the rest of it, but. Believe it or not, it was Billy Conley that made me no scared of flying. And it was one of his stories when he when he was saying, you know, that all this bullshit they tell you when you go on flights, you know, oh, put this on here and round the bar, and they try and calm you down before you go on the flight. It's all bullshit because you're going to go into the ground like a fucking dart, so it's pointless. <laughs> you know, that, that's the attitude I had. So I was like, you're flying it a gazillion miles an hour on these bloody helicopters and just above compounds, people are sh- shooting at you and there's people shitting themselves, pissing themselves and all the rest of it and I'm just sat there calm as in and I'm thinking, listen, if we get into the ground, we're fucked and if you're, if we make it, the Taliban will ruin us in five minutes and so there's no, no point. <laughs> Aye, there's, there's no point in worrying about it, you know, you're, you're dead. So, like I said, man, it was just, most of my six months was spent on Camp Bastion, which was all right. Uh, you got the few, the few sort of mortar attacks when you were there, but what was your day when the mortar alarm goes off has hit the deck? And Camp Bastion's actually the size of Aldershot. If your listeners can sort of put that into perspective, it's wow. it's huge. So again, the chances of you getting hit with a mortar line and the flare in Camp Bastion are pretty slim to none, you know. So, and the, the good the good thing about Camp Bastion is it was split in two. You had the Americans on one side and and the British the British on the other side and they hated the Americans so it was always the Americans they were aiming for so so we were alright <laughs> you're alright yeah and the Scottish had a good reputation as well in Iraq and Afghanistan from what I, I got obviously my son was in the Royal Regiment of Scotland as well so so sorry mate sorry I was just going to say it's just a it's just a case of getting the hearts and minds of the the, the, the locals you know it's um, you just got to understand their culture, respect their culture, and and, and that's it. And that's what we try today. Try. You didn't dish you any wham bars in Iron Brew? Dish, uh, uh, I've got a funny story about the Taliban and Iron Brew as well. This is, <laughs> this, this, is, this is actually God's honest truth. I was in a I was in a fob, which is a forward operating base in Lashkar. It was called, and uh, they didn't have any, any Iron Brew for a month. And there was a Scottish regiment there and they didn't have any iron brew for the month. And what had happened was the Taliban had actually hijacked the wagon that was coming in. So the Taliban went a bit mental for a month because they were drinking iron brew. And that's <laughs> the God's honest truth. They nicked the iron brew. Obviously, moving on, you're now a, a well-established author, uh, much loved, with some fantastic books. I want to talk about The Bunny. I believe it was that your first book, Scott. Aye. Uh, first book was a bonnet, mate. Um, I wrote it in less than a month. Um, wow! It, it was just mental. I had this wee story in my head every time I went to the bookies uh, when I lived in Scotland. What I would do was 
let's say it was Willie Hills, you go in and you've got the, the blue pens, or if you go into Ladbrokes, it's the red pens that you use when you're putting a bet on. So I would go into Willie Hills, I'd put a bet on a horse. If the horse won, I would keep that pen. If the horse lost, I would fling the pen away and I would get myself an our blue pen until the horse won. And then every time it won, I would just keep that pen. And stupidly in my head, I'm thinking, this is a lucky pen. So I came up, <laughs> just stupidly, the, the better's mentality, you know, just crazy. So uh, I came up with this story about this wee guy who's getting no luck with women, with work, with nothing, with gambling. And he stumbles across this lucky bonnet. And it's uh, this. he meets this Irish guy in a boozer. And the guy sort of pushes him towards getting a bonnet. Because basically the guy's handing this bonnet down to him. He doesn't want to make it obvious that it's him that's giving him the bonnet. And it turns out to be a lucky bonnet. And the, the boy, the main character in it's a boy called JJ. And it takes him a wee while to realise that it is a lucky bonnet. But then eventually he does. And then the fortunes in his life change. Uh, his love, his work, and his, his gambling and so on and so forth. And it's a funny sort of Scottish part of story. And it's a, it's a heartwarming story as well. And I, I just I wrote it, uh, spoke to some pals of mine, uh, self-published it on Amazon, and I didn't expect one person to read it. And eventually it just it just exploded, man. It just went mental. The five-star rating started coming in on Amazon. Uh, within, I think within two weeks of it uh, being released, I was getting inundated with messages. When's your next book out? When's your next book? I hadn't even thought about a second book because I didn't think anybody would read this one, but it just... It went absolutely mental. Mental. It must be great. And then you moved on to Thatcher Girls and then Daisy. And the one I really want to talk about is, of course, Bonded. Uh, bonded by Burns, isn't it? Yes, uh, that's that's a new one. I brought that out in January. Outstanding, mate. I mean, where did inspiration come for that? Again, it's just... I don't know, man. I just, I just get these mad... The stories I've got in my head is crazy. I, I, I could write a million books, honest to God, I could. And one of my favourite films for the 80s is the Back to, Back to the Future trilogy. So I always wanted to write a book on time travel. And I thought, why not do Back to the Future meets Scotland? And that's what I've done here. So basically, the, this story is about two pals uh, called Jock and Kenny. And they're in, the, they're in a bar one night in Scotland and... Uh, the following weekends, the big yearly, the big yearly quiz for a thousand pounds, and they've got the local SWAT in there, and he's getting them brain damage. You know, oh, okay, he's going to join this year for a laugh again, and so on and so forth. So, the day okay in the quiz, but the thing that lets them down is history, and the reason history lets them down is because they never attended history when they were at the school. They used to dog it, as we would call in Scotland. So skip, skip their history class. So basically, one day they go out hill walking, the two pals, the next day I think it is, they go out walking, and one of them falls down a hole. So while the pal's looking for him, he falls down the hole as well. So the two of them are stuck inside this cave, and they notice an object at the end of the cave, and they, they put their mobile phone light on, and it's a it's an old RS Turbo, Escort RS Turbo. And when they jump inside it, the iPad lights up inside, and it's their old history teacher. And it turns out he's the voice inside this time machine. So it gives, gives the boys an option. They can stay in the cave forever or they can go back and learn a bit of history as part of a punishment for dogging his classes. So he takes them back to 1791 to meet Rabbi Burns and to 1953 to meet Sean Connery before he's famous. And the attention to detail in the book is second to none. It's... The, the bar they go to in Dumfries is actually where Rabbi Burns drank. Uh, the right. two ladies the two ladies behind the bar was actually the landlady at the time and the young lady that, that Rabbi had got pregnant. And it's the same way when he goes to visit Sean Connery. I used to live I used to go I used to live in Edinburgh, so I know Edinburgh at the back of my hand and uh, where where Sean Connery was brought up and Aye, it's just, a, again, it's an amazing wee story and it sort of centres on what's happening just now. It's sort of post-COVID. The two guys are living in this small town and it's decimated by by COVID-19, you know, the businesses and the people. Everybody's down and it just gives you a... just gives everybody a kick up the arse, really. And, and the lessons that they learn from meeting Rabbi and Sean, they take it back to their wee community and uh, 
Aye, again, another wee heartwarming story, a funny story. And aye, it's... It's inspirational as well. It's quite inspirational because it, it sort of drives you to succeed as well and believe that you can do anything, you know, if you set your mind to it. But it also lets you know you've got to put the work in as well. I kind of thought it was a bit like Bill and Ted's and Bill and Ted meets, like you say, Back to the Future in Scotland. I I, I was, I was, I read it and I was, I won't lie, Scott, I was chuckling away at myself. Eh? And, and the tension in detail is just unbelievable. Like I say, the hole in the wall and all that. And don't, and, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. That, I mean, that you, you've, that's in your head. So, I mean, what can we expect from you next? What's coming? What's in the pipeline, Scott? Well, it's quite a lot in the pipeline. It's, it's just, it's going crazy, man. It really is. And I've started my sixth book already. And what I've done with, with this one, it's, it's going to be a sequel to Bonded by Burns. So, when Bonded by Burns finished, the 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 final page on Bonded by Burns, I won't give too much away, obviously, but yeah, yeah, it's it's sort of like Back to the Future, where you know it's left on tenderhooks, so they get the option to go back again and jump inside the time machine or not. So this one that I'm going to do to it is they're not going to go back and visit anybody famous. What I'm going to do with this one is is quite clever as well. They're going to go back and visit every single one of my books. Wow. For example, again, I don't want to give in away, but in the bonnet, something happens in that book and they're going to go back and change it. So with changes come consequences and that's going to be the name of the book. So with wow. change comes consequences, which is true. So they're going to go back to every one of my books, change one of the things that happens in each of my books uh, because as you know, uh, when when you read them, all the characters are all in my different books and they all sort of come together eventually. It's just going to be a clever, clever... You know. And obviously it'll all be available, I'm guessing, on Amazon as well? Yes. All my books are going to be available on Amazon. I'm going to self-publish them on Amazon again, the next one. And when can we maybe expect an autobiography, Scott? Oh, jeez. Um, that's something I've definitely not thought about. But um, I, I think I'm I'm actually thinking about doing something on my life because my life experiences are honestly crazy, man. I, I've lived the life of 10 men at this age already. And um, I, I think maybe in the future there'll be maybe not an autobiography, but I'll, I'll probably need to change a couple of names. Uh, some, of, some of the books that I've released already, there's probably a bit of me in some of them already. So, aye, watch this space, we'll see. I think if I'd done an autobiography, I'd need about 40 chapters for uh, all my ex-girlfriends. So, <laughs> it's maybe not a good thing if I do an autobiography. I might get myself in a wee bit of trouble there. <laughs> come come X-rated that one. <laughs> Scott, moving on quickly, obviously today it's Derby Day, you're a big Celtic fan. Disappointing season this season, eh? Aye, aye, I, I don't think anybody expected that this season. Um, no fair play to, to the guys across the city, they've had the, the foot to the floor all season and I don't know what it is, you know, I've, I've spoken on different podcasts about this and tried to put my finger on it myself, I think retaining the, the, the best players that have been there and done it was, was a good thing. Well, so we thought anyway at the start of the season and uh, bringing in a few £5 million signings and on paper they, they get the guys look like good signings but as as we both know, you, you don't play football on paper, you play it on the pitch and these guys that, that have came in haven't they, haven't they been up to speed at all. So it's just been a... A disappointing season, a bit of a farce, and I think the bowling goalie incident at the start of the season just sort of set the tone for the rest of it, really. It's just been a nightmare. I think we've been unlucky with the COVID situation. I think we've been unlucky with the Dubai situation, and uh, it's just been a an absolute farce, and we just need to write this season off, hopefully finish off today for Scott Brown, and hopefully, hopefully get him uh, a victory on his, his last Glasgow derby, so... I'm not overly confident, but I still think we've got the, the best squad of players. But this season, they just haven't turned up. So hopefully today we can we can then just finish off in style and hopefully set a marker down for next season and beat them. 
Yeah, I think a lot of folk were saying, you know, what I didn't like was that there's nothing to play for now for Celtic, so there's nothing nothing to lose. There's a lot of pride involved in this. And obviously with Scott Brown's last game, obviously Kenny's going to put him straight in because he's a chip off the old block of Neil Lennon. And perhaps maybe it, it, it probably should be Sorrow in there, in my opinion. I completely agree. I think I put something on Twitter this morning about that. I think yeah. Sorrow gives you more energy and gets about the park a bit better. And I think when days like today... It's going to be the the sentimentality thing from John Kennedy, like I said as well. He's he's just a cardboard cutout in Neil Lennon. He's picking the same teams, he's playing the same tactics, and you know, I I just I just feel when Lenny went, he should have, he should have got the guys together and and so sort of, he could have put a marker down for this job by saying, you know, put your hand up if you don't want to be here. And the guys that put their hand up, right, just go and clear your locker right now. I don't I don't want guys like you here next season. But, if I'm going to get this job, which I want, you know, I want to grab this job by both hands. I've, I've got an opportunity here. I don't want guys or bad influences in this dressing room, guys that don't want to play for me, so just go now. That's what he should have done. And he hasn't done that. He's picked the same teams as Neil Lennon, the same personnel, the same tactics, the same everything, and it just it has not worked. So I, I, I don't agree with Kennedy being there in the new setup. I just think he should be his own man now and and go and make his own way in the game. And if he turns out to be an outstanding coach, then yes, we'll welcome him back with both, you know, with both hands. But at the minute, I think he he, he needs to go as well. And uh, we we need a, a complete change from top to bottom, which looks like it's going to happen. But keeping guys like Kennedy around, I don't think it's a good idea. One of the things that's come out of this is the podcast, A Celtic State of Mind, has definitely rocketed. I really enjoy it. And you've done a bit yourself on there. Aye, I was actually one of the, the founding members uh, on A Celtic State of Mind with Paul. And he, he sort of gives me a free reign to go on when I want or, or you know, put in the odd art, article when I want for, for the site. And I, uh, I went to primary school with Paul. So I've known Paul for over 30 years and... I have we've sort of just followed every, every everywhere that we've went. We've just sort of followed every followed each other around and been lucky to write for the the top Celtic websites that are out there. I've I've wrote for them all, and Paul wanted to start up this new one all by himself, and he asked me if I wanted to come on board. And of course, yeah. So I've been there from the start with Paul, and it's crazy. I think it's in the top twenty podcasts in the it whole is, of the UK. Yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing so, podcast. Aye, it is, and it's good what he's done as well now. I think he's he's at the forefront of it now by bringing ladies in for their opinion as well, and he's he's got some cracking ladies in there as well that come on the podcasts. And aye, he's he's got some some really really top top Celtic fans that have got good opinions and good experience, and aye, they all speak well. And aye, it's just it's a it's a pleasure to be a part of it. And like I said, he. It just gives me free reign, you know. I, you know, I'm no, I'm not tied up and go on. It, it doesn't even make me go on there all the time or whatever. And we, we speak and. Uh, it's a cracking. I like it. I really like it, Scott. If somebody could write a book about you, who would you like to write a book about you? Oh no, I've lost him. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> Scott, I'm if, uh, if I could get, if anybody, any author could write about you, if you were given the chance of any author, who would you like to write your life story? Which author? Who would you most like? Jeez. I don't, see, to be honest with you, I'd have to date myself because the, the, they'd be cringing writing it. I'd have, I'd have to date myself. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody was to play you, for instance, if they did a movie or a TV show about you, who would you like to play you? Oh, dearie me. Um, it would have to be somebody like Ryan Reynolds or something like that, I think, because he's, he's got a bit of patter about him. He's he's not too bad with the ladies as well, so maybe maybe I'm Ryan Reynolds. Constant. Oh, no, he's too wee. Get <laughs> <laughs> a wee man in there. He's <laughs> too wee. Ryan Reynolds. 
Well, Scott, thanks for coming on. It's always great to catch up with you, and I'm looking forward to your sixth book, which you're working on now. Thanks for coming to the podcast, mate, and I wish you all the best over in sunny Spain. I look forward to catching up with you sometime and hopefully seeing you back in Scotland. Thanks for having me on, Dennis. Um, It was an absolute pleasure, and uh, hopefully see you soon for a beer, mate. Cheers. Well, thank you, Scotty Allcroft. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I'm looking forward to book six coming out. And I hope you enjoy your time over in Spain, and hopefully we'll see you back in Scotland. Still to come in the next episode of the NMF podcast with me, Dennis Devon, we welcome Sam Lambeth, the musical talent from Wolverhampton. All that to come on the NMF podcast with me, Dennis Devon. Thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you again soon. I'm Dennis Devon, and this is the NMF Podcast. Drawn into a bar next to the arcade But you spend all of your money before it's made Once again And you can't explain No peace of mind when your mind has gone So you down another wine And before too long the bell rings all our students again So you end another night Taking shelter with your friends Beneath the palace pier And you're awoken in the morning By the seagulls calling With stains on your trousers You can only pray I'll be
be surprised when we rise.